0: Welcome back to the 152nd episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including disqualifying Donald Trump via the 14th Amendment, this new crackdown on free filing services that the IRS is going after, and an article about DeSantis's record with the military, and is it as big of a deal as some of the media outlets are making it seem, that he was not actually a part of the SEALs, but that he deployed with the SEALs. And we will end today with our daily delight, a story mentally feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. Should President Trump be restrained from running for office? So this is a hotly contested one right now. There are lots of legal experts who are talking about Jan 6, who are talking about all this different drama that Donald Trump is in, and they're trying to say that he can't run for president under the, or he couldn't actually get the office under the 14th Amendment. You know, and are are they doing this correctly? Is this lawfare? Are they coming after him in a roundabout way? Or are they doing the right thing and trying to say, no, this is one of the amendments in our Constitution— And we really do have to enforce it. I want to know everybody's opinions down in the comments section. If you could take the time, that would be greatly appreciated. So let's jump to our first article all about this from The Daily Wire. The headline reads, Efforts to remove Trump from 2024 ballot using 14th Amendment ramp up. So as I described at the very beginning... There was talk by Asa Hutchinson about the 14th Amendment use in the different states that would be putting Trump on the ballot. They could actually invoke the 14th Amendment. These uh, attorney generals, the secretary of states there, they could invoke the 14th Amendment and say, hey, no, we're not putting you on the ballot. You obviously were inciting an insurrection during Jan 6, which is practically treason. So, no, you are not going on our state ballot and then if that was the case in half the states and not the other states, well, then should Trump really run? I mean, if they're, if he's not on the ballot, then most people probably won't write him in. And even if they do write him in, the Secretary of State would say, oh, we're not allowing those votes because it's Donald Trump. So the Republican Party would have to say, okay, no, 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 Trump, I understand where you're coming from. I need you to step aside here. Otherwise, we're not going to have enough states to even get the Electoral College win. So... This is why it's so hotly contested, because we know some states, they're not going to do anything about it. You know, even if Oregon and Washington take him off the ballot, then Texas won't. But if he's only available on Texas, Florida, half of the states in the union, there's no way, there is no way that he can win the electoral college and therefore become president. So it simply becomes political calculus at that point. The RNC would have to step in and say, "Okay, we're going to disqualify him, too. And I think this is exactly why Asa Hutchinson brought this up in the debate. He wanted to bring it to the forefront so there would be a whole news cycle about it. And either the people within the Republican Party that don't like Trump could seize on it. Or the Democrats could seize on it. Now, does it really help H- Asa Hutchinson that much? No, he's probably not going to win anyway. But maybe he's been talking to some of the party members who want to get Trump out of the way but don't necessarily want to confront him directly. Because there's still people, a lot of people in the Republican Party, probably a lot more in the Republican Party mainstream faction of the rnc that don't want to see trump as president they feel that he's not as electable so they're probably going to try to find a fishy way to get rid of him and it's similar to a bernie sanders kind of you know backstab when they put joe biden or hillary forward in 2016 and 2020 respectively but you know i don't want to go conspiratorial it's not like oh yes we will plan how to take down donald trump no they're probably making serious political calculus and saying we don't think he can win And we think that there's an actual legal avenue in order to keep him out of the White House. So let's jump to the article here and read their kind of preamble that kind of sets everything up. Quote, efforts to remove former President Donald Trump from state ballots in 2024 elections are ramping up nationwide after critics argued the leading Republican contender is constitutionally disqualified for serving as president after he engaged in insurrection against the United States. Trump, who is leading the GOP primary by a landslide, faces four separate indictments along the East Coast, including charges related to hush money, classified documents, election interference, and racketeering. Trump has broadly denied any wrongdoing in the charges brought against him and has claimed politically motivated forces are targeting him in a witch hunt propagated by the Biden administration and the Democrat prosecutors. But now opponents across the political spectrum of the former president are arguing that under the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment, Trump is barred from holding office ever again after the J-6 Capitol attack, end quote. And I think this is something that needs to really be pointed out. He doesn't have to be fully indicted. He doesn't have to actually be found guilty Of these crimes which he's been indicted all of these and he hasn't been found guilty of any of them yet so they're all alleged at this point but none of these crimes that he's currently in court for none of them have to go forward none of the prosecutors have to win if there's the perception that he committed a treasonous act that he really did incite an insurrection on J6 then that's enough for secretaries of states or attorneys generals to say no no okay we're not going to have Trump on our ballot. That's enough alone. If the people in the top office say, argue, believe that it really was an insurrection and that this really was a treasonous act, that's enough. And let's be clear, it will be challenged in court. There is no doubt about that. But even starting the conversation, starting this wave, making it so that it actually happens and then there's not enough time for Donald Trump to fight all the lawsuits and even if he doesn't win all of them, even if he wins half of them, let's say 20 states do this and he wins half of them, that's still 10 states that don't go forward with Donald Trump on the ballot. Can the RNC really risk that? Can the RNC, the Republican Party, really risk not having their candidate on 10 states out of 50 in the battle for the president? No, that's that's not something that they can risk. It's It's just not possible because even if those are all solidly blue states, some solidly blue states split. Like, I believe Maine has the possibility of having part of their electors go to Democrats, part of their electors go to Republicans, even though they're a little bit more of a blue state. Or Nevada, I believe, also does split electors. And they have a contingent of Republicans there that sometimes scoop up the one or two extra electors. So, No, this is not a possibility. The RNC cannot put up with this, and this is why it is even more dangerous to just have one or two, maybe three states seriously talking about this, because I I ask you, if you're a gambler and the odds are already against you when you're going up against the House, and we've seen this election between Trump and Biden before, the odds are already against him. Everybody has an opinion on Donald Trump. You've heard this a million times, and I think it really is true. So the odds are against you, and now you have more odds against you. Now you have a professional poker player coming up and making it harder again for you to keep winning because he knows how to play the game, and now you have all these state's attorneys coming up and saying, hey, we're going to play the game to our best. We're going to play the game to our most efficient. We're going to get him off the ballot. Those odds are stacked against you more. The RNC is not going to take that risk. They're going to do some maneuvering somehow and get Trump out, in my opinion. I don't know if they'll actually be able to. I don't know if they'll be able to retain enough votes if they do that, because MAGA makes up a very solid part of the Republican New Age movement. But we'll see. We'll see. So let's talk about the details of the 14th Amendment a little bit more so you understand why legal experts are saying that this can be used. Quote, the bottom line here is that President Trump both engaged in an insurrection and also gave aid and comfort to other individuals who were engaging in such actions within the clear meaning of those terms as defined in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Kaplan wrote in the filing last week, challenging Trump's eligibility to run for office again. Quote, assuming that the public record to date is accurate and we have no evidence to the contrary, Trump is no longer eligible to seek the office of President of the United States or any other state of the Union. The 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified in 1868 in the aftermath of the Civil War during the Reconstruction era and was designed to present a new birth of freedom for previously disenfranchised citizens, according to Cornell's University Legal Information Institute. The amendment's disqualification clause was written to bar those who had joined the Confederacy from serving in state or federal office, but would theoretically still apply to those who engaged in future rebellions or insurrections against the United States. So, the legal experts who believe that they have this in the bag, they have a clear and cut example of what's going on here. Even if he didn't necessarily directly say, go and raid the Capitol, go and overthrow the government, he at least facilitated, provided enough rhetoric and speech and inflammatory comments, and that people could take the wrong way and take as a incitement to insurrection so that that's where they're you know and let's be clear i think that that's a little bit of a a rocky case if the government really could prove that he was trying to incite an insurrection then they would have tried to get him on that they would have tried to already charge him with that so it, it feels a little bit flimsy but like i said this could be brought up by individual secretaries of state attorneys general so on and so forth based on the feeling that it is like treason. And, and then they'll have to battle it out in the courts, and there may be some friendly judges so yes, who say, yes, it was treason, some who don't say it's treason. But like I said, all they need is one or two states, maybe you know 10 at the most, who are definitely willing to do this. And it makes the math really hard for the RNC, and they put a lot of pressure on them to say, okay, Trump, you need to be out. We can't be having this. But there is a little bit of pushback from people on the other side of the aisle who don't necessarily agree with the rationale. Quote, but despite the opposition from lawyers, activists, and never-Trumpers, others warn against using the clause against the former president. Harvard School Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz said the notion puts the Constitution in grave danger. Quote, it would put out the decision about who the president is in the hands of local secretaries of state and Democratic governors instead of in the hands of the people, Dershowitz told Just the News. Constitutional law attorney and former Trump ally Jenna Ellis said in an ex post, quote, the left is purposefully calling J6 an insurrection to justify a baseless 14th Amendment challenge. It's baseless, baselessly calling election challenges on behalf of a campaign racketeering to justify a RICO charge, Ellis, who is named as a co-conspirator in Trump's Georgia indictment, said, end quote. So you can see here there's pushback from both sides. Now, one on the argument that I had just laid out, which is if they really could prove that it was an insurrection, you know, they would probably have brought it up and charged him with that. They haven't, so therefore it's baseless. And then the other one from Dershowitz is more of a practical matter, which is, this is not the way that we should go. This is not going to actually strengthen our nation. It's going to leave people to, well, let's, let's be clear here, you're going to leave a lot of power in these states, governors and secretary of states. And if they don't like a candidate and they believe that they did something treasonous, they could very well use and wield this tool again in order to stop certain people from being on the ballot. Now, is there a, worlds where there are justifiable reasons for doing so? Yeah, sure, of course. But do you really want that much power seated at the head of a state? Do you, If you live in Wyoming, do you really want your governor and secretary of state to directly say, no, no, Donald Trump can't be president again, and then you don't even have the Option to vote for him. A lot of people who are responding to this are saying leave it to democracy. If people don't want Donald Trump to be president again, then they will not vote for him. Why does it have to be left to the tops of states who may have political agendas versus just leaving it to the people or at least to the system that we have in place where electors are assigned to a certain population within certain states? I, I think it's a, it's an interesting, interesting argument, to say the least, it, on both sides. I think it's an interesting argument to really say that this was an insurrection, to really extend the idea that this was treason and get him kicked out. And I also think it's an interesting argument to say, well, just let the people decide. Because that is ultimately what our system is about. But there are lots of stopgaps in the way to make sure that the best person gets to the candidacy, the general election, and maybe Trump isn't that person anymore. Maybe he has the support, but maybe he isn't the best person to represent America on the world stage. I think there could be a valid argument made in that direction as well. But, you know, we're not going to stick on this one too much longer. We're going to go to our second article that comes from Daily Costs. Democrats accuse tax prep firms of undermining new IRS on electronic free-file tax returns. So that's the headline, and let me give a little bit of a deeper dive. So you know H&R Block, you know Intuit, or TurboTax. A lot of these companies offer free tax filing services. Now, of course, they always upcharge you if, for some reason, you have a really particular case, or in my case this year, I have a little bit of crypto assets. So I had to actually pay in order to use their service that I could attach all my different crypto transactions and things like that. So they upcharge you as you have more nuanced tax returns. But if you have a really simple tax return, it will be free. And that's kind of what the government's looking at and saying, well, okay, we know that these simple tax returns are free. But you always upcharge people. You always you know, try to get a little bit of extra money out of them because... Let's be clear, things are a little bit more complicated, so it takes a little bit more work on their end. It takes a little bit more sophisticated programs to parse through everything. Maybe they have to bring in an actual agent, and obviously they have to pay that actual agent. So, of course, they're going to up their fees a little bit. This is the private system of doing taxes. I mean, it's the private entrepreneurial system in general. If you have to use somebody's labor, effort, time, time, then you're going to have to pay for it. And if it's really simple and an algorithm could do it, they can probably look at that and say, okay, well, the cost for making this algorithm is offput by the amount of people that are going to have to actually do a more, not so simple, but a more nuanced tax return. And then we can leave it simple for everybody else who just needs a simple tax return. So when they do have a complicated one, when they make enough money in the future, we can retain them because they've been coming to us for years. Well, the IRS is like, well, hey, 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 you guys are doing this free tax service or this free filing service. Why don't we do that? Why don't we build out our own program? So they've been trying to do this for a little bit of time now. And I want to read a quote that lays out the the landscape. You know, if you're at the top of the hill and you're looking over the entire situation and you're looking down through the valley, it's a beautiful painting of the overall picture. Quote, Congressional Democrats accused big tax preparation firms, including Intuit and H&R Block, of undermining the federal government's upcoming electronic free-file tax return system and are demanding lobbying, hiring, and revenue data to determine what's going on. The lawmakers accused the companies of lobbying against the new program, hiring former government workers to sway public interest against free-file for all, and deliberately sabotage a government program that had previously offered free tax prep services, according to letters obtained by the Associated Press. On Thursday, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, and Rep. Katie Porter, Democrat of California, sent letters to the executives of Intuit, H&R Block, and the American Coalition for Taxpayers' Rights, and the Free File Alliance, a group a group of tax preparation companies that provide free online service through the IRS website. So you you can see that the issue here is they feel as though the people are lobbying against the IRS free file system that they're trying to create. They're lobbying against the IRS getting more involved in the people's lives and they're arguing or lobbying against losing profits. Hmm. I wonder why. I highly doubt they're as principled as some people are in saying, oh, well, we don't want the government to be involved in people's lives as much we think this is government overreach. They're probably more on the side of this is going to infringe some of the money we make because, like I said, we bring in people with the free service and then we upgrade them once they feel confident with us because they have a more nuanced tax return, blah, 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 blah. I've said it all before. So that's probably why they're really lobbying hard on this one because they see the potential of losing money. But, you know, maybe there are a few principal people in some of these institutions that say, no, 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 we don't need the government to make another program that encroaches on people even more. And also, if the government's going to do it, it's inefficient. Because guess what? In the open marketplace of tax services, these companies have done well because they offer really low rates, they offer higher returns, and very often when you pay that, I believe this year it was $75 in order to do my tax return, I got a, a double, if not more than that, in returns from the federal government. So obviously, they have a good pricing strategy in place. You actually make more money off of the tax return than is charged to you. So then you could pay it off. You know, It seems like a justifiable fee. And Now, when you have the U.S. government trying to do it, they're going to be inefficient. They're going to have bureaucracies in place. They're not going to have to fully face the threat of not getting enough revenue because all they say is, hey, Senate, hey, Congress, can you uh, write an appropriations bill so we can have a little bit more money so their service won't necessarily be as good? And this is what the big problem with doing everything as a government bureaucracy is. There's not as much competition. And then they're actually going to price out some of those other companies like Intuit, h and Block, blah, blah, blah. They're going to price them out. They're going to actually offer a fully free service for most cases. And if you have to do a more complicated one, you'll still have to go to these other companies. But remember the whole point of having that free service that they offer is to keep people in, to keep them trusting the company, and then upscale them as they go along. And maybe the IRS doesn't upscale as much, so therefore a lot of these people don't end up using H&R Block into it, meaning it actually cuts into their profits. So you can see why they would be lobbying against this. You can see why they would not necessarily want this to go forward. And The fact that Democrats are getting mad at this is, you know, it's kind of funny. Now, let's be clear. I do not support overall lobbying. I do not support the amount of private money that comes into the different government agencies, the different houses of Congress, to even the the presidency in some cases. Now, it's a little bit different, but it normally comes as contributions to their campaign. I don't love lobbying. I don't love these large sums of money getting handed over in order to curry political favor. But I also don't agree with this legislation at this point, and I can understand why these companies are using the tools that are in place that we have allowed to be in place, such as lobbying. We've allowed this to exist, so I can understand why they're using these tools in order to stop the federal government from going forward with a program that will cut into their revenues. Does it make it right? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I can understand why, and it's funny to me that the Democrats are being outraged. They're like, well, why are they doing this? Oh, this is not acceptable. It's like you're literally, if someone threatens your business, you're going to do things in order to prevent that from happening. You're going to try to save your business. I, I don't i don't get why they're so angry, but there is a lot of anger on that side of the aisle. And I want to read one quote before we move on to the next article so you can understand the outrage, the the pissiness that is coming from the people that don't want these companies lobbying against this legislation. Quote, tax prep companies have engaged in a long and aggressive lobbying campaign to prevent the IRS from offering taxpayers a direct filing option. The lawmaker's letters to Intuit CEO Susan K. Godarski reads, Derek Plummer, an Intuit spokesman, said his firm will respond to the lawmaker's letter, adding that taxpayers already have the ability to file taxes free of charge. Quote, an IRS direct file system is redundant and will not be free. Not free to build, not free to operate, and not free for taxpayers, end quote. So this is them taking the idea that, hey, no, this is the principled stance. Let's be clear. It's not actually going to be free for your people. We already have an alternative. They're trying to cloak it in this principled idea rather than just saying it's going to cut into their revenue. And, you know, I respect it a little bit. Maybe they're talking to the people like me who are a little bit more political and care, but most people... You don't have to, you know, hide it, cloak and dagger and say, oh, well, it's not going to be free to taxpayers. You can just say, well, no, we're, we're going to lose revenue. And a lot of people would understand. People on the left probably wouldn't understand. They would probably say, oh, these greedy companies, you know, they're trying to push back so that the government doesn't cut into their massive profits. And maybe this argument really resonates more with them, but it really is a principled argument that they're trying to roll out here. And I don't think it's necessarily a facade. Like I said, there are probably some people there that truly believe it, but it's really about the revenue that they're going to lose. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You have to protect your company sometimes. Quote, he said, Plummer said a free file system built by the government is, quote, a solution in search of a problem. And that solution will unnecessarily cost taxpayers billions of dollars. An h Block spokesperson also said, that there are free file options for taxpayers, and that the IRS should focus additional funding on improving existing services for taxpayers, end quote. So there's a little bit of pushback. There's a little bit of anger on the side of both. There are the letters that are saying, oh, this is not right, they're lobbying, they're undermining, and then there are the executives and the spokespeople coming back and saying, hey, you guys don't need to do this. You are redundant. Why does this have to be done? Just help us be better rather than trying to create a whole new system that's not actually going to help anybody. So there's a little bit of, you know, pushback on both sides. And I personally come down more on the side of the business just because, you know, I'm a business major. I understand their goal here. I think it's a noble one as well. Making money off of helping Americans is probably a pretty noble goal. They saw an opportunity in the market that taxes are extremely crazy. There are a lot of different tax codes in that having full-time accountants and tax experts who can help people you know, get through the mud and understand what's going on You know, that is extremely, extremely important, and it is ripe for making money as well. So I stand on the side of the businesses on this end, but I I do also understand where Elizabeth Warren and Katie Porter are coming from, where it's you're undermining the ability with just throwing money at it with lobbying, which is not ideal. It's definitely not ideal whatsoever. But in some cases, it, it feels as though they're not given much of an option. Because these things will just move forward without their approval. And it could directly undermine their, their revenue making potential. So you know I, I have a pretty principled stance against lobbying. But I can at least understand where these companies are coming from. When they're trying to you know secure their business going into the future. All right so let's jump to our last article that comes from the Daily Beast. The headline reads actual seals at DeSantis's Navy service claim. So. If you didn't know what was going on here, if you haven't heard the news, guess what? Ron DeSantis, he wasn't actually a Navy SEAL. He was a lawyer. He was deployed. He was a JAG, and he was deployed with the Navy SEALs to provide different advice. But he did not actually go through Navy SEAL training. He was not a SEAL himself. And there's been a little bit of talking on the left, and this story didn't really sink in. It really didn't land too well because the commentary was... Well, he said that he deployed with them. This is kind of dishonest because he wasn't actually a Navy SEAL. He was with them on the ground, but it kind of is misleading. And they're trying to attack his claims that he served With them in trying to bring to light the fact that no no no, he was a jag, he was not a navy SEAL. Because Navy SEAL has a really prestigious, you know, idea with it. We in America, when someone says they're a Navy SEAL, we say, Oh my, wow, they had to go through a lot of training. They had to put in a lot of time in order to serve our country. They went through brutal training. They are the most courageous and bold and strongest among us. And DeSantis wants to be portrayed as a strongman, so you could see how this undercuts his narrative a little bit, at least from their point of view. Now, like I said, this story did not gain much traction, because most people probably know, who are politically active, that he was a lawyer, because there have been t- attacks against his uh, practices at Guantanamo Bay before— but for the non-political they're not they're not looking at this and saying it's that outrageous i mean yes his claims may be a little bit leading you in a particular direction but that doesn't mean that he was outright lying and honestly you know it's still honorable to serve in any capacity whatsoever so that's why i think this this story didn't gain traction but it is something that still needs to be pointed out the fact that he's using this sort of claim you know to kind of bolster his image And, you know, better to him. It's a savvy political move for sure. It's easily deniable if it comes up. He said, no, no, I deployed with them. I never said I was a Navy SEAL. If people get really angry and push back against him. But it's something that at least needs to be brought up so people are aware of it, in my opinion. So what's going on? What's the situation like? What's the roundup after the debate? Quote, on Wednesday night, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had an important message for those watching him participating in the first Republican debate of the presidential primary season. I learned, quote, I learned in the military, I was assigned with the U.S. Navy SEALs in Iraq, that you focus on the mission above all else. You can't get distracted, DeSantis said. Quote, so Republicans, we've got to look forward, and we've got to make sure that we bring the message that we can win in November 2024. DeSantis moved on without further explanation, leaving some observers extremely impressed. Others, however, were far less moved. Quote, he was never a SEAL, Billy Alman, a former member of the SEAL Team 1, told the Daily Beast. It's a misleading statement, end quote. And this is something that could hurt him. It could definitely hurt him among Navy SEALs who are like, no, no, you didn't go through the same training as us. You are making a misleading statement. You're trying to tell people that you went through the exact same hardship that we did when we were training our butts off, when we were sacrificing so much in order to serve our nation. No, 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 no. We're not going to stand for it. But there are other SEALs who have a different opinion of it. Quote, with DeSantis, I was with SEAL Team 1. Well, it's true, said Shipley, but without going into a lot of detail, people naturally think, ah, you are a SEAL. Still, in certain instances, a JAG can be more valuable than additional firearms, said at Shipley. Quote, they deploy with the SEAL teams to keep them out of trouble, he said. DeSantis wasn't a shooter, and he wasn't a door kicker, but... And he did get some weapons training. He deployed with Team 1 to keep them out of trouble. There's a saying, if you can take an extra shooter with you or you can take a lawyer, take the lawyer, end quote. So you can see that there are some people who don't necessarily like his comments. There are other people who acknowledge they're a little bit deceiving, but he still served his nation, and that's something that's really important to a lot of people, that he was still willing to go out there, put his life on the line going into Iraq, and also provide some guidance for some of the most elite people in our nation so you know it's a headline grabber it's meant to you know poke holes in his story it's supposed to give the left a little bit more ammunition against him maybe cause a little bit more doubt among the people that would vote for him but it didn't gain traction because at the end of the day he was playing politics the people that are politically involved they know how the game works you make statements like vivek ramaswamy when he said the climate hoax agenda Is not real. He didn't say climate change is not real. He said the agenda around it is a hoax. So let's be clear. You know, this is politics. They make statements that are very specific, that have been given to them, which give a certain impression, but are easily deniable upon further review. And I don't think we can necessarily blame him for trying to up his reputation, but it is something that definitely, I think, needs to at least be pointed out. I'm not saying it as a derision to him, but it's just something people should be aware of because these politicians, they play these games. And if they're going to play these games, you have to be informed as a citizen of what game they are playing so you can you know, take it into account when you are going into that voting booth, if you're voting in the primaries or if you're going to be voting for him in a general. All right, let's jump to our last story, The Daily Delight. This one comes from Buzz60. Jordanian doctor has 30 turtles and tortoises in her backyard. So, you know, we all know the trope of the old cat lady. Well, meet this young turtle lady. Quote, Dr. Abir Basali from Jordan, whose lifelong passion for turtles and tortoises is helping maintain the healthy lives of these adorable and helpless creatures. And, you know, I think that one is good, two is okay, but 30 could feel like it's a little bit too much. But she has a good reason for him. She really admires these turtles because, quote, These beautiful creatures have been on this planet long before humanity learned to stand on its legs, end quote. You know, I think it's at least admirable that she's trying to help these little guys out. I just, 30, 30's a lot. I don't know if I can handle 30, so good on her for being able to handle 30. And there's a cute video that comes with this one, so if you want to see that video or you want to read any of today's articles... There'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button where you can find them all. Also down there, there are links to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, as well as Podvine. And there's the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip where you can listen to the Twitter tirades every Tuesday and Thursday. A little bit less scripted, just 10 minutes real quick of current issues that I kind of ramble on about rather than having quotes from articles. All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.